Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, on Sunday evenings, we've been kind of looking at some miracles and seeing what they tell us about Jesus. And uh, I wanted to do that again this evening. So if you've got a Bible, there is a Bible at the end of every pew, or maybe you've got one on your phone or whatever, why don't you turn with me this evening to Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me just say this. I've been burdened over the last number of months about the need for evangelism, the need for outreach, a sense that God is calling us to engage more and more in that. And this is something that Pastor Tim and I have been talking and, and sharing and praying about quite a bit together. And I just really feel that this is something the Lord really wants us as a church to be doing very deliberately, that we should be you know what they used to say some years ago, deliberately about soul winning. That's what they used to say years ago, wasn't it? You know, that we should, uh, as the Bible says, become more intently fishers of men. That we should be about making disciples. And I think that's a real uh, burden that I have uh, for us as a fellowship. I don't know whether you'd say this with me, but I, I really am convicted that Mariah is on the brink of something. I, I sense time and again when we meet together for worship or when I, uh, I'm in other meetings that we hold here at the church or when I'm even in one-to-one -one discussions with many of you, that, that others too sense that God is wanting to do something, that we may well be on the edge of something profound for his glory, but something nevertheless profound that he wants to do. I, I know God's sovereign, and I know God could blow that away, and he'll have his way. This is his church. He owes us nothing. We're not deserving of any blessing uh, that we have. But I do sense that God wants to do something. And... Uh, Given what he seems to be doing now and what he's bringing about and, and in the past years building on the legacy that dear, dear John left us, I think there's a good reason actually to say, well, why not? Why not? Why can't that happen? I was walking around the kitchen today at lunchtime going, why not? Why not? And I wasn't saying, why not make me my dinner, wife? Why not? Why why do we, you know, Trevor and I share this fascination about revival history. We exchange books and things. And we're fascinated by, why not now? Why not? In all seriousness, why not? Why do we just have to read about those things? Why can't we experience them? I love that. I love to be caught up in something. And I just sense that, you know... I'm not saying it's just Mariah. I talk to other church leaders. They're sensing something too. And increasingly across the nation, there are women and men meeting together, seeking the Lord in prayer, and really burdened with a sense that, yes, Lord, even so, come quickly. Is it that he's about to return? Is it that he is wanting to break through in some new way? I don't know. I haven't got the answers. But I'm excited. It goes in my tummy. The hairs on the back of my neck. I've got some there, not on the top of my head. But they stand up. I want to see a new fruitfulness in our work, in our ministry. I want to 
see what Trevor was praying. That this blinking baptistry is open not just for Jared, but next month, and the month after, and the month after, and the month after. I want to see that. I want to see a fruitfulness in our work, in our ministry, in our outreach. More and more people passing from death to life, from darkness to light, from unbelief to belief. From not knowing Jesus to being fully committed disciples of Christ. Wouldn't you like to see that? Oh, gosh. Well, I would. And I pray that we do see it. And you know, all of that will happen through Christ-empowered work. Because it doesn't matter what initiatives and schemes you and I can come up with, At the end of the day, it will be about what Jesus Christ is doing. And I honestly believe he'll do that through us. He will use you and me to do that work. You see, churches can grow without you and me being involved, but that's not the best kind of work. That's not the best kind of growth. So I think we need to be much more deliberate, much more consciously determined, dare I say it, almost aggressive, in a loving witness that wins people to Jesus and embraces them in the warmth of this fellowship and grows them into mature disciples. That's why we're doing things like we did this morning. Great this morning to see families that come to messy church starting to connect with church. I'm thrilled, you know, when I walk around on a Friday at a toddler group and just see the numbers that are coming in. I'm thrilled to see how we're building on things again and again, just to try and deliberately witness, to turn people's attention around to Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we just saw people coming to faith and confessing Christ as Lord, and then they in turn became fully devoted disciples of Jesus and were passionate about making him known. And then other people came to know Jesus and they became passionate about making him known and other people came to Jesus and they became passionate about... And so it would go on. Wow. You'd have to reserve your pew on a Sunday, Mary. That would be awesome. Why not? Why not? Why not? There's something that I think can help us think about this a bit more and mark out Mariah's ministry as we go forward. So we're going to listen to Jesus this evening, and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5, and Nina's going to come and read for us this little passage from chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Thank you, brother. Jesus calling of the first disciples, Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out 
into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they have done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners into other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he felt at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished about the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on I will from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Thank you, Nino. Now, if you've got your Bible, why don't you keep it open at this passage? Because I, I think this is an incredible passage. You know, I think. Jesus, in the way he acted and spoke in this situation, and Luke, to that end, in the way that he records the incident, are both intentionally turning a miracle catch of fish into a parable about catching people for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus wasn't just teaching the word of God as he sat in that boat that day, he was demonstrating something, he was showing something about how he means for his followers to win people to faith in himself. So here's the point that I think Jesus and Luke are making in this whole story. I'll say it and then I'll back it up by trying to show you some stuff out of this passage. This is what I believe. By Jesus' power and authority, multitudes of people will be caught for eternal kingdom blessing by the followers of Jesus. I do believe that. Fundamentally, I believe that. How is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen by people teaching the word of God, obeying the commands of Jesus, and being willing to humble themselves, as well as treasuring Jesus above all else. That's what we need to do. Now, I could pronounce the benediction now, and we could go home. I think these are the points that we see in this passage. If I'm burdened to see us becoming more fruitful in our labors, to see men and women, girls and boys, coming to know Jesus, come to know fullness of life just like you and I do, I think there's the answer. It's not, it's not, it's not hugely insightful. I think it's there in the passage. I think there it is. We need to be teaching the word of God. We need to obey the commands of Jesus. We need to be humble about it. And we need to treasure Jesus above everything else. That's, that's what we need to be doing. And that's what we see worked out in this passage. Let's break it down into several pieces and see where they come from uh, in the text. Firstly, you notice Jesus is saying that great multitudes of people are going to be won by his power and authority. This is a key thing, a lesson to be learned from this passage Jesus had quite intentionally, I believe, 
chosen to teach from a fishing boat. That, that's the key thing here, isn't it? You, you, look, you look at what's going on. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. It's not an accident. He's decided to do it. This is his portable pulpit that he's using this day. The boat, boat suddenly becomes, it's transformed in, into an instrument of evangelism. And that sets up the parable quite nicely. The boat is a place where the word of God is proclaimed to the crowds and where fish are caught. Then in verse 4, Jesus tells Simon, you notice, to push uh, this gospel-bearing boat out a little deeper uh, for a catch. And you get this lovely little interchange between Jesus and Simon. So he, he finished speaking. He said to Simon, look, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answers him, Master, we've worked hard all night. Now, I, you can hear the exasperation coming out a little bit in his voice, can't you? <laughs> Haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You can hear it, can't you? You can hear it being worked out. That little interchange emphasizes something very, very important. It emphasizes the power and authority of Jesus. Look at it very carefully. This is Peter starting to understand something. You say it, Lord, I'll do it. What's the use? We know fishing, you're a carpenter. That's basically what the interchange is about, isn't it? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. The catch is so amazing that the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. In other words, there's a fundamental point here. This is an utterly unprecedented catch of fish in a location that seemed hopelessly unproductive 12 hours before. And it was changed how? By the powerful and authoritative word of Jesus. It's the only thing that's changed. The word used to describe the amount of fish is literally multitude, polis. It's used over a dozen times in the book of Acts to describe a multitude of people. Very important here. If we're to understand what Jesus is doing here, he's, remember, teaching and showing something. He's starting to say, well, you, you look, at, look how many fish you've caught. Now I want you to think about multitudes of people because you're going to become fishers of men. Jesus himself is going to give that interpretation in verse 10. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid from now on, you will fish for people. The multitude of fish caught by Jesus' power and Jesus' authority is a pointer to what would happen later in the book of Acts and beyond. Do you remember in Acts chapter 5? More than ever believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, polis, that's the word, it's there, of both men and women. 
Acts 14, verse 1. In Iconium, a large number, polis, of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. The power of Jesus changes everything. People keep on telling me, oh, times have changed, see? It's hard now. Well, yes, it is. But you know what? Jesus is here. And Jesus can change any situation. We've got to hold on to that. Yes, it's harder. Yes, it's more difficult. Peter turned around and said to Jesus, we have been trying all blinking night. We're knackered. We've had enough. Oh, okay then, because you say so. And they put down their nets, and Jesus changes everything. I think Jesus is saying to us, put down the nets. I think Jesus is challenging us. Come on, do it. I'm here. That's the key thing about this passage. Jesus is present. They had failed to do what they thought they knew how to do. But when Christ turns up with them, he changes everything. You and I can play at church until the the cows come home, and the dogs, whatever. (laughs) We can play at church as much as you like. If Jesus ain't here, nothing's going to happen. So let's pray for him to be here and to work amongst us by his spirit. Let's rely on him to do authoritatively what he does so well. The catching here, of course, uh, in the book of Acts that we're looking at on the screen there isn't to kill and to eat, it's like you eat fish, is it? But it's to save and to feed. You know, the comparison, this is the problem sometimes. People, commentators go, oh, mad about these sorts of things. You can't say that Jesus is talking about catching people in the same way. Yes, he is. But, you know, we don't eat people. We're not cannibalistic. But we're talking about the way that we catch them. We trust Jesus to help us gather fish just in the same way as we trust him to help us gather people. So Jesus' power and authority changes everything. By Jesus' power and authority, multitudes of people can get caught for the eternal kingdom blessing. By the power and authority of Jesus, this church could be full. By the power and authority of Jesus, every church and chapel in Wales could be full. One person saying yes. What do we believe Jesus is able to do? Are we that despondent? Are we with Peter? Lord, we're cream-crackered. We've been trying and trying and trying. Lord, with the greatest respect, you don't know what it's like. Is that what we're saying? Well, by the power and authority of Jesus... Things can change. How? Well, how is all of this going to happen? I think we have a key part to play in all of this. As followers of Jesus, it's very important we see this. Look at verse 10. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. James and John and Peter, human fishermen, brought in the fish. I believe it will be the same with human fishes of men. 
we will be the ones who bring in the people. It's by Jesus' power and authority that they come, but they come through the evangelistic effort and work of human beings. Converts come to Jesus by Jesus' power, but through man's agency too. We're involved. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples right before he went back to the Heavenly Father? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so you go and make disciples. That hasn't changed. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so you go. Jesus is the decisive power and authority in winning people, but followers of Jesus are the instruments of that power. You and I don't get just to sit back. You and I are directly involved in this. There's a job for us to do. So what does this acted out parable tell us about the kind of people who go man-fishing and win people to Jesus? I see four things very quickly in this passage. Firstly, I think we do it by teaching the Word of God. I think that's a key thing. I think that's so important. Look again at verses 1 and 3. Verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to what? Him rabbiting on? Him whinging? No? To the Word of God. That's what they were listening to. Luke makes explicitly clear what Jesus has brought to this moment for man fishing. He's brought the Word of God. If I dare risk the analogy, I think this is his bait. This is what Jesus is going to use as his bait. This is what is drawing the crowd. They are pooling like salmon or trout being fed. They are pooling to hear the word of God. You know, this thing is blinking incredible. This thing in 2019 still has incredible power and authority to change people, to address things in their lives. It's incredible bait. It's not something, you know, of a little jingle to manipulate customers to buy our product. The Word of God is truth. And it, it, it aims to claim a person's rational mind. You don't check your brain in at the door before you come to chapel, I hope. You approach the Word of God with your rational mind, and I'm telling you, God by His Spirit will work through His Word to capture your emotions. The Bible is key in evangelism in this 21st century. Whatever programs, whatever initiatives we have, we will not deviate from the Word of God. Jesus decides to teach the Word of God from a boat. Look at verses 2 and 3. He showed the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to pull out a little from the shore, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Just as Jesus is gathering people, baiting them, drawing them in with the word of God from a fishing boat, Peter and the followers of Jesus, I believe, will gather people like man fishers with the word of God. 
I think it's hugely significant, by the way, that Luke wants to reiterate to us that what Jesus does in that boat is that he teaches the word of God. Now, at times, Jesus proclaims the word of God. At times, he preaches. But here, he teaches. I think that's really interesting. Because I think that's really important in this 21st century. Because I think the Word of God has an awful lot to teach people about life. About significance, security, self-worth. The Word of God is able to bring instruction on how to parent, how to get on with your neighbor, how to be with your classmate, your workmate, your colleague. The Word of God is able to bring instruction and teaching for so many areas of life. I want to suggest that in our evangelism, if we're to go man-fishing with the bait of the Word of God, it should involve quite a bit of teaching, a lot of explaining. We live in a society that doesn't know the true nature of God. We live in a society that doesn't know the gospel. They don't know the God-centered nature of what sin is and what God's glory is and what God's law is and who Jesus is and what happened on the cross and what faith is and what love is and what heaven is and what hell is. So to win people to Jesus, we need to develop structures of teaching them. And I don't mean only formal teaching, nor do I mean we stop sharing testimonies or anything like that, but let's add ways of offering folk more and more of Jesus so they can make a credible response to a whole message. Let's offer them biblical insight into how to live, how to get on. Let's dream and plan and and be aggressive in our love for lost people by coming up with ways that we can keep telling them and showing them more of the truth. Of God's word. That'd be good, wouldn't it? To win people, we need to develop structures of teaching. You know, Paul did that. Paul did it. He did it, really. Acts 19. Luke tells us that Paul reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus, Saurus Rex. What was he doing? He was reasoning daily. What's he? He's teaching, isn't he? That's what he's doing. He's giving instruction. It continued for two years, so all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What a great church planting strategy. Teach the people every day in a public hall about the Christian worldview. When I get into conversation with people, what they're interested in is, what do I believe? Well, all I tell them is what the Bible says. So I'm telling them. So in the Bible it says, you know, people come to me and say, I've fallen out with my neighbor and been trying for the last five years to sort this out. And sometimes I have to say to them, well, the word of God says, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You've tried everything you can, what else can you do? There's a lovely, practical illustration of how to deal with a complicated situation. And again and again, the Bible helps us understand and make sense of how we're to live our lives. That's the first mark of the disciple who does man fishing, people fishing, woman fishing. They teach the word of God. The second 
is they obey the commands of Jesus. Why did we stop obeying the commands of Jesus? Where, where did that come from? When did we start fudging it? What would seriously happen if you and I determined we were going to try and live as Jesus wants us to live? Can you imagine? I'm not looking at myself here. I'm not looking at anybody else. But if I was consciously more determined to live as Jesus wants me to live, to follow his commandments, I think things would change. Jesus told Simon in verse 4 to push out into the deep. Simon answers him, verse 5, Master, the Greek says, we're cream crackered. I haven't caught a thing. The shattered path. Simon, please, push out into the... Lord, we're tired. S Simon, just, just push out... Lord, please. It's been a long day, all right? Kids are playing up. Just put up... Please, Lord, not now. I can hear myself. Can you hear yourself? Excuses we come up with? And yet, look, but... Because you say so, I will. That's a deal breaker. That's something that everything's going to hinge on. I don't want to do this, Lord. I'm not in a good place at the moment. I'm, I'm not feeling it. But because you say so, okay, I will do it. If Simon hadn't obeyed, there'd probably have been no catch. Well, don't get me wrong, Jesus could go, and the fish would jump into the boat. He could, but he didn't. Very important, isn't it? He doesn't usually act in that way. He could fill this church, he could fill every church and chapel across the whole of the United Kingdom. But he calls you and me to be instruments in all of this. And he gives Peter as an example. What a great example. He's not a perfect boy, is he? Ooh. But it's a great example for you and me. Peter isn't brimming with faith. Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. We know fishing, you don't. This place is fished out. We're exhausted. We've been up all night. How many excuses do we come up with? It's encouraging that the Lord doesn't get hold of Peter and chuck him overboard. Isn't it? That's the Lord. He accepts his half-hearted obedience and does the miracle anyway. Hallelujah. Hey, I've heard dozens of testimonies to that effect. Gosh, I'll give you a dozen testimonies of times when I've been in situations and I've been cream-crackered and the last thing I've wanted to do is talk to somebody about Jesus. Oh, I was tired. It didn't seem like a very good time to speak about him. But I did it, and blinking act, they got saved. The great, never-weary Jesus acted. Hey, time is rarely perfect, and our hearts are never perfect, but Jesus honors simple efforts to obey him. That's the second mark. 
they obey Jesus. Here's the third. Those who go fishing have to humble themselves. That's what we've got to do. We've got to humble ourselves. When Peter and the others saw the blessing Jesus had given them, the way he used them to gather the fish in spite of their half-hearted obedience, what happened? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What humility. How we need to see this. How we need to experience it. It's the opposite of saying, wow, look how we get blessed when we follow Jesus. Biggest catch of fish we've ever had. We could market this. Let's get a movement going. Let's call it Trust Jesus. Get fish. Peter looked at grace, pure grace. He felt utterly, utterly unworthy. Good place to start. You feel unworthy? Brilliant. Brilliant. If you and I feel unworthy, that's a good place to start in evangelism. Cocky witness is a contradiction to the message of the gospel. This is about grace. Let's wake up to the fact that we're a band of half-hearted imperfectly obedient, justified sinners who feel utterly unworthy of every blessing we have, especially salvation, and let's go fishing. Yeah? Let's go. Now, see three marks of faithful man fishing? They teach the word of God, they obey Jesus' commandments, they humble themselves, finally and very quickly. Fruitful people, fishers, treasure Jesus above everything else. Do you love him? Oh, I hope you do. You treasure him above everything else. Again at verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, we'll fish for people. Jesus wants to take the paralyzing fear out of Peter's humility and leaves in its place a lion-hearted meekness and bold brokenness. This guy is going to become awesome. You read on in the book of Acts. You read on through his letters. Wow. This guy who mucked up, foot in mouth, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, in the wrong place, to the wrong person. Look at him. Don't be afraid. Come on. We're going to fish for people, son. The paralyzing fear is taken out. And this guy changes. Peter, James, and John respond with hearts overflowing with the value of knowing Jesus. Look at what, look what happened. Look at what they did. You missed this. It's so easy to miss it. They pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Flip me. They left everything and followed. They had just witnessed in this lake, a fishing experience like they'd never witnessed before. They were half-hearted about doing what Jesus wanted them to do, but they did it. And they were so amazed. They got on shore, left everything, and followed this guy. Wow. Wow. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He's more valuable than anything. What was it Paul said? I count everything as a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hey? Want to come fishing? You want to come? 
Let's go. Let's teach the word of God. Let's obey Jesus' commands. Let's humble ourselves. We're not, we're not big. Let's treasure Jesus above everything else. He's here. And everything can change because of us.